This afternoon, we open the Word of God in the New Testament, in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, page 994 in our Pew Bible. 994, Mark, chapter 1. The verses 1 through 20 is our scripture passage. Our text follows after that in the verses 21 through 28. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 20 is our scripture passage, and the verses 21 through 28 are focal point for this afternoon's sermon. This is the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And here starts our text. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That's our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if there is one account that seems especially fit for our time, brothers and sisters, it's Mark's. It almost seems as if Mark knew about the life in the fast lane. The favorite word of this evangelist must have been the word immediately also translated as at once, quickly, without delay, immediately. Surely a word that sounds familiar to people who are used to the business haste of today. However, the haste which Mark wants to express in his account is not the immediacy of present-day society's pressures. Using the word some 41 times, the evangelist Mark describes the haste with which the kingdom of God is making progress in the world. Already at the beginning of the work, Mark reports, Christ is hurrying towards the completion of his plan. No sooner has he chosen his disciples or promptly on the Sabbath, the Lord Jesus went to the synagogue immediately. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. In the book of Revelation, we still read, Blessed are those who hear and take to heart what is written, because the time is near. Look, he is coming. Indeed, beloved, we may be living in a time of hurry and haste, but may it comfort us to know that this Lord Jesus Christ is hasting as well, not delaying his coming. He is working hard and fast with the word of power. Blessed are those who hear, for the time is near. Christ is working hard and fast with the word of power, I said. Indeed, besides the haste, also the power of the gospel is a specific element in the text. Mark wants to show the power of the word 
in the first of many miracles recorded in his account. It fits most perfectly the theme of this first half of his account. Jesus Christ manifesting himself with authority by his mighty teaching and deeds, revealing himself as the Son of God. It also is fitting for this account which Mark wrote for the spreading of the gospel among the Gentiles. In that same manifestation and revelation, the proclamation of the gospel is coming to us as well this afternoon. It is the word of salvation, of deliverance from sin and Satan, It is proclaimed with the command to repent and believe. As to every proclamation of the gospel, the response will be one of two ways, belief or unbelief, obedience or rebellion. Amazement only is not enough. Acceptance is required. So I, re, I proclaim to you the word of God under this theme. Jesus Christ reveals himself in his powerful word at Capernaum. We see this power displayed, this power disputed, and this power discussed. So that's how I would like to summarize the message of our text. Jesus Christ reveals himself in his powerful word in Capernaum. We see, first of all, this power displayed, secondly, this power disputed, and thirdly, this power discussed. So, first of all, the power of his word displayed. Brothers and sisters, Mark evidently leaves out a lot of events that are described in the accounts of the other evangelists. Though this miracle of the casting out of an evil spirit is the first one in Mark's account, the actual first miracle was the one of changing water into wine at Cana. From the gospel according to John, we learn as well that the Lord Jesus revealed himself authoritatively already when he took action in cleaning the temple. From Matthew's account, we may conclude that he probably delivered his Sermon on the Mount already too. However, now all these elements, the proclamation of the word with special authority and the accompanying working of miracles are displayed in our text as well. Recently, the Lord Jesus moved to Capernaum and settled down in that city. Later on, this is explained as the greatest privilege for Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? Matthew 11, verse 23. Receiving the Christ in your midst, however, appears to be a great responsibility at the same time. For... They received the Christ, not just as a prominent person, but as the Son of God, who is mighty in words and works. In his new town, 
he shows on the first Sabbath already his great works. He brings them from God. Immediately he entered the synagogue. He did not enter the house of a friend to begin his work in secret, but he seeks the public gathering of the people of God with the salvation from God. In the synagogue, the word of peace and life should reign, while at that time the word of man prevailed. As our text shows, behind that trend, the workings of Satan were. So that also for that reason, it was the right place to start. Christ came for the great work of the antithesis, to work out the enmity from the beginning, to crush the head of Satan. The people of Capernaum may have supposed the Lord Jesus to be a traveling rabbi with his disciples. The ruler of the synagogue grants him the opportunity to teach. Although we don't know, as in other instances, from what passage of the scriptures Christ spoke, we do know, however, that the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, the teachers of the law. Well, what could be the difference? These teachers taught the law and the life according to the law. They tired the people with their traditions. They repeated and repeated in their teaching the old rules and regulations. They rehashed the conclusions and comparisons made by former rabbis. The explanation of the law from of old, leading them into a kind of dead orthodoxy. The living preaching of the true word of God, however, about the hope of Israel, about the messianic age, etc., was lacking. Now imagine the Lord Jesus explaining these same scriptures. Imagine the enriching eye-openers, like it happened after his resurrection to those travelers to Emmaus. Their hearts were burning. This Jesus understood the scriptures. He knew their spiritual meaning, their prophetic perspectives, their redemptive historical lessons. He could show them as well that the time of the fulfillment of these scriptures was near. What a difference that must have made with the dry explanation of dead orthodoxy. What a difference to people who were taught salvation by their own righteous deeds. That's the liberating power of his word, which is important for us as well, beloved. For what do we remember when our sins oppress us, when our guilt bothers us? Then you don't get anywhere with an understanding of legalism. In that case, you're always trying to balance your bad deeds with the good you have done also. Legalism casts you back on yourselves 
and you are no better, no better off than the average heathen who believes in the life hereafter for all those who have lived a decent life. Well, what peace and life that gives. You can learn quite easily from the story of Martin Luther, for instance. The gospel of the breakthrough of the kingdom of God, however, is the message of paradise. God will send the Son of Man to crush the head of Satan. God will come to the messianic age with powers of salvation, delivering from sin and the curse of sin, endowing men with powers of life. Christ is coming with the proclamation of that kingdom. He taught them as one who had authority. That means he did not appeal to some rabbi for his proofs, but he spoke by his own authority. For truly, I say to you, he says, and he who keeps my commandments, he asserts, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, I do not know you. Do you see the difference, beloved? When the scribes proclaimed the commandment of the Lord, they set out in detail their cases, their examples, but the Lord Jesus confronts them with God himself. I tell the world what I have heard from him who sent me. John quotes him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father, John adds. Indeed, that happened here too. That's why they are astonished in his words and tone. He makes them hear that God is speaking. He shows them the way of the Father. He doesn't display some case histories, but he declares with power man's responsibilities, calling them to repentance, urging them to come to him for salvation. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. That's the word coming to them with authority. They were astonished, we read. Well, that's fine. Yet that's not enough, beloved. The people of Capernaum stayed in this stage of bewilderment or amazement, but they did not believe. Yet faith is what was needed. Yes, faith is needed when God, whenever God's word is proclaimed. Faith in the promise of the forgiveness by grace alone. Faith in the way of salvation, the way of restoration and renewal of life. Faith also that God's condemnation remains on those who do not come to Jesus Christ in repentance and belief. And that's still the responsibility, beloved, of those to whom the power of the word is coming. We may not have the privilege of hearing the Christ speak in person, but we have the same word proclaimed with the same authority. We're living in a time 
in which many ways of self-deliverance are promoted, not only in religion, but also in the field of psychology and psychiatry. By many a counselor, man is made to believe that he has the ability in himself, that the reality of true freedom depends on his own will. But is that how we seek deliverance? Do we want to be set free by positive thinking? Or by bringing to remembrance the great deeds of redemption by God? Do we want to work out deliverance by our put positive potentialities? Or do we believe the sure promise of God that he will give us all things with him, with Christ? Do we want to be happy by feeling good about ourselves? Or do we get our spirits lifted by seeing the grace of God in our life and realizing that his mercies are new every morning? Do we receive the word of God as portions and passages with interesting backgrounds and circumstances? Or is it the message of the way of life proclaimed authoritatively with the power of God. We come to our second point, the power of the word disputed. As the expression goes, brothers and sisters, the devil never misses a service. Indeed, at all times, the word of power meets with resistance, with negativism, with criticism, with opposition. Here too, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. In the synagogue, people attend, but in this fallen world, they themselves can become the dwelling place of an unclean spirit. It did not need to have been a spirit which made this man into a patient. It may have also been a spirit of opposition, of resistance and slander, which made this Israelite a difficult and obnoxious member. That's why his words, his thoughts and gestures are unclean. Also the fact that he yells at the Lord Jesus shows that he presents himself as opponent. Hey, you, what have you to do with us? Rather than showing the respect and amazement expressed by the other listeners, in this man, the slanderous opposition of the liar from the beginning comes out. That too is part of Christ's self-revelation. The Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters, is meeting these demons on his way all the time. He meets them in men and in nature. He encounters them in severe seizures and in plain fevers. He recognizes them in those who are possessed by one or by legions of demons. In all the sicknesses, distortions, and disruptions of life, he sees the adversary whose aim it is to destroy life or to keep people away from the living one. Thus, 
the Apostle Peter can later on summarize the Lord Jesus' ministry with these words in Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Well, not everyone who was oppressed by the devil was as much possessed as the one in our text. Does the Christ seek entrance into the hearts of men? Well, Satan sends out his servants, the demons, to take control of their hearts. The man's voice, his physical strength, and actions are in the power of Satan. That's very obvious from the way the Lord Jesus addresses this demon separately. Satan pushes, as it were, the person's personality aside, takes possession of a person, pushing the person's ego aside. The Holy Spirit, however, renews a person, transforms him, changes the heart and mind so that the new man wants to serve God with all his mind and all his strength. We don't see that here, however. Satan sends his demon to a man among the listeners, and in him, Satan goes out against the Lord Jesus. After the defeat in his temptations in the wilderness, Satan will continue the opposition the attacks again. Hey, you, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What's he doing? Does he want to drive a wedge between audience and speaker by exposing that his native town is not Capernaum, but Nazareth? Or does he want to expose the man's inferior background of Nazareth? that usually works quite well, pointing out the insignificance, the lack of glamour, reputation, or working on feelings of local loyalties and competition. People are sensitive to that. Yes, who is he after all? Jesus of Nazareth. Some authority that can be. However, at the same time, the demon has to betray the fear that is strong among the demons when he says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The devil knows the word of God too. He knows the gospel the Lord proclaimed to Adam at the beginning. As John testifies in 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The demons know that there is one God, and they shudder, James writes in his epistle. Now here, the word of the Lord challenges them, exposed in their opposition and in their fear for destruction. It's the opposition of the rebel from the beginning, beloved, who disputes the apparent authority and power displayed by the word of the Lord Jesus. After all, 
did Satan not claim to the Lord Jesus that he had power over all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory of them? And isn't that what seems to be the truth in the world? In the devil's way of sin, you can get anywhere you want or anything you like. Who are you? What do you want with us? Calling people to repentance, to newness of life, to obedience to the Lord. Yes, the word of God brings out such reactions. Who do you think you are? The big mouths are usually heard first. The loud mouths are usually believed first. But are they right? Is the power in the world Satan's? After Christ no longer beloved, he cast out the spirits with a word, we read in Matthew 8, verse 16. Be silent, he says. Come out of him, he commands. The Lord Jesus does not cast out spirits by manipulating formulas, by exercising acts. He speaks his word of power authoritatively. Later on, the Lord Jesus also grants the power to cast out demons to his apostles. He has all power in heaven and on earth. But perhaps you may be thinking, brothers and sisters, I wish that the Lord would still show such authoritative commands. Sure, we know that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him we know that he is the power, the kingdom, the glory, but, but indeed, is this power not disputed all the time, challenged in many a situation? The devil is inventive, all right, to make us waver, to make us wonder by supposedly overwhelming evidence. Where was God's power in Auschwitz? Where was God's power on September the 11th? Where is or was his power in the case of that cancer patient among your loved ones? Where is God's power to fight your depression? Until you hear the word of God. Until you know, recognize the powers behind the misery in the world in the light of the word of God, and then you see Jesus Christ. He has revealed his power. He has proved to be stronger. He has displayed the victory over Satan. Satan never has the last say. By his word of power, he will overcome Satan's power. No, perhaps, perhaps not in every case in every illness, in every disaster. But he has manifested his victory in the severest of struggles, namely over death. No wonder, beloved, Satan is at work the hardest when this word is proclaimed. Let's be on our guard for that, beloved. For the devil knows that by faith in the word we share in Christ's power. 
He knows that this faith in Christ is invincible for his power. That's why he will always sow the seed of doubt when that word is preached. Or he will undermine the unity among the people to whom it is preached. Or he will sow some discord at home or in church. With the Apostle Paul, we should say, give no opportunity to the devil. Submit yourselves to God, James writes in chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We come to our third point, the power of his word discussed. The people were all so amazed that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? Brothers and sisters, there were lots of questions and discussions in reaction to what happened. But there were no answers. They did not know what it was. They did not recognize the promised son of man when he separated the seed of the serpent, the demon, from the seed of the woman, the Israelite. They did not accept the son of God who spoke with authority the doctrine of the coming of the kingdom of God. They did not make any progress beyond the level of discussing what it was that they heard and saw. They did not give themselves in faith to the Christ. Actually, beloved, this discussion, the questions and uncertainties are rather typical for the entire time of preaching and doing miracles. Slowly but surely, the spirit of unbelief will become clearer. For that's what it is, unbelief. Here in the beginning of his account, Mark shows already that there are going to be groups who are for or against him. Here, the resistance comes through a man who is possessed by a demon. Later on, however, Satan's influence of doubt and opposition shows the people resisting him in their clear mind. In that respect as well, it is striking that this first recorded miracle in Mark takes place on the Sabbath, the day of peace, of rest in God, of blessing, of salvation. The Lord will be addressed on that point time and again. Why on the Sabbath? He knows the reason for their perpetual discussions. They do not want to believe that he is from the Father. They do not want the coming of God's kingdom. They do not desire peace and salvation from God. Yet every time the point came up, the Lord Jesus forced them to discuss the question, who is he? What is this? What authority? What great teaching? What are miracles? Who is he? Then do they admit him to be the son? No. Even at the last trial, the discussions ran stuck. Yes, it is the heart of the final verdict that he acted and spoke as if he were the Son of God. 
when he openly stated that he was the Holy One of God, they cried, blasphemy. They discussed the word of power in unbelief. In the beginning at Capernaum, they did. At the end in Jerusalem, they did. He was in the world, and the world was made through his word, yet the world knew him not. Capernaum, Capernaum, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Capernaum did not receive in faith the word of power or the deed of might. His own people received him not, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, power to resist the devil, power to test the spirits, power for young and old. And you, do you believe in him, accept him? Or can you too discuss it a lot, yet without accepting him for your salvation from sin, for your deliverance from Satan? Do you not mind the world you are living in, enjoying it actually, because you seem to be in control quite well? Or do you seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness? Well, as John writes, when you are strong in Christ and the power of God lives in you, you have overcome the evil one. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly God and Father, we thank you for sending us your Son. We thank you for your love for this world, seeking the salvation of the people who see your Son, to whom he is revealed, and to whom he manifested himself, and to whom he is still coming today. And we pray, Father, that we may believe him, that we may believe your promises through him, that, you may believe, that we may believe, that we may find everything we need in him. Father in heaven, you know of our struggles too against sin, against temptations. You know us in our life as your children to whom the word is proclaimed faithfully from week to week. And for that reason, indeed, we are being tempted, we are being attacked, and we are being lured away from the truth. Father, we pray that we may stay close to our Savior, that we may embrace him in faith because we know him as your son. We know him as our mediator and redeemer who qualifies for salvation. We pray, Father, that this is how we may live in this world, by faith. And as we have seen and heard, we cannot take that for granted, that just because we are all here, 
And just because we know the word so well, that it means that we are living by faith. Father, we pray that you will help us look into the mirror of your word to see and examine ourselves, to see whether we truly believe, whether we truly find life in him, whether we truly find his power of the word in ourselves to fight against the evil one. We pray, Father, that we may indeed realize that the gift of faith is a gift that you work by your word and spirit, but that it could also be a proclamation that we resist or that we despise or that we criticize or discuss without realizing that it was you speaking to us today. We pray, Father, that this word may continue to go out, that you will bless the work at the, mission, at the seminaries where ministers are being prepared to bring that gospel authoritatively as your word, which it really is. We pray that it may go continue, continue to go out in the mission field, that the missionaries also may do their work in that confidence that when they work and they proclaim and they share and they teach, that it does depend on the response that you work by your spirit. We pray, Father, that you will bless the work of church planters as well, also in our midst, also in our country. We pray for Reverend Caleb Johnson, the church planter in Gig Harbor. We pray that his work also may progress, that the church may grow and increase, and we thank you that he can report that that is true, that visitors who have been visitors become members, but also with the request to pray that more visitors who are attending also respond in faith and become members of Christ, members of the congregation. We pray for a blessing over the leadership in his church plant and that you will provide a deacon to assist him in matters of needs and mercy. Father, in this service, we may also give our offerings to the Christian Counseling Center and we pray for the work of the counselors there that they too may instill it in the hearts of those who struggle that we have answers in your words, that we have answers in Jesus Christ, that we have solutions for problems when we listen to your word, when we follow the advice of the scriptures and live by the norms and values of that word. We pray, Father, for wisdom of those counselors, and we pray that in the midst of the brokenness with which they are confronted, they may know the way of light, the way of unity, the way of harmony, the way of restoration, and we pray, Father, that in the lives of each and every one of us, there may be that process of renewal and growing of faith and a dedication to you also in this new week. Bless us. Help us to work with the proclamation as we heard it today and live in awe before you, but also in total dependence on you, that you indeed may come to us to encourage us and to work in us and to bring your word to our remembrance in order that we may grow in knowledge and in renewal. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.